<laughs> I found this quite a difficult uh, submission, actually. <laughs> did you? Uh, yes, I, I did, yes. Um, I mean, I have some, but uh, actually writing to a prompt on the subject, it wasn't that easy. I know I sent you a whole barrage of things. Hello, I'm Patricia, and this is the Poetry P podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to be reading some of the poems that were accepted for the Poetry P journal on the topic of Turiyavaza. It was a very difficult topic, not just to write, but to edit. So I congratulate everyone who's had a poem chosen, and I'm so grateful to all of you for giving it a go. There were so many fabulous poems submitted to us this time that didn't quite fit the topic, but I look forward to reading them in other journals and magazines, and maybe even seeing them win awards. It's going to be gutting, but at the same time wonderful to know that we as an editing team were right, and that your poems were fantastic. Speaking of other journals, I'm in the process of asking various journal editors to join me for a chat on the podcast next year. They're proving to be a bit shy, bless them. Why don't you email me and tell me which editors you'd love to listen to? Tell me why, and perhaps some questions you'd like to ask them. Then, maybe I can tell them how beloved they are, and they'll snap my hands off to be on the podcast. And while I'm talking about next year, don't forget that I'm open to topic suggestions. And, of course, poets wanting to read their books to us. Or at least a snippet of their books to us. Just get in touch. And I have a favour to ask of you. Do you think you could go to your podcast platform of choice and write a little review for us? A good one would be nice. But I'd rather you were just honest, say how you feel about it. It will help other people find us. Now, it really worked last time I asked you to do it. So I'll put a little link into some of the more popular ones in the show notes. And if you don't know how to write a review for your own podcast platform, perhaps you can click on theirs. The poems I read today are also in the show notes. If you're featured and you have social media, do give us a shout out and maybe tell your friends. It would be much appreciated. So, we have some new voices on the podcast today, and one that you've heard before, other than myself, of course. We've got Jerome Berglund, Brian Labansky, Srinivasa Rayo Sambangi, and they are joined by Keith Everts. I'd like to thank them all for all their hard work in putting together the analyses of the poems that they've chosen, and of course for spending time with me to record them. Thanks, chaps. And kicking off today is our first judge, a poet many of you will know, Jerome Berglund. He's a super poet and a great supporter of the podcast. And of course, he edits his own journal, Heterodox Haiku Journal. I've asked Jerome to read his own poem to us when he's revealed his nomination. But before we hear which poem you've chosen, and of course, your own poem, Jerome, Do tell us where we can find the journal and a little bit about it, perhaps. Uh, Yeah, 
It's a little funky, but uh, check out our Twitter. We're on the we're on the Twitter, and that'll direct you to the most recent episode. You can um, you can pick them up off. We also have hard copy prints on Amazon, so we have three issues so far, and we're kind of plotting the next one. Jolly good, because I know that at the moment um, your submissions are closed. Do you have any idea when you're going to start receiving submissions for the next one? Maybe the next month or two. It's oh. kind of depending on schedule, but I'm going to do my best to get that going. <laughs> Jolly good. Okay, well, I will point people in the direction of Amazon and your Twitter on the show notes if people want to go and and have a look. So it's lovely to have you with us today, Jerome. Thank you very much for doing this. Tell us, which poem did you choose? I picked a poem by Nina Singh. Rising fog in the chestnut pond, a family of mallards. Rising fog in the chestnut pond, a family of mallards by Nina Singh. Few poems embody the ideal of Tori Owase with the refined sensibility and effortless grace which Nina Singh accomplishes here with elegance and subtlety. Through painterly palette and depth strokes hinged daringly on a central pivot which leaves Brick's determination open to interpretation, this poem functions as a celebration of plurality, showcasing rich and eclectic comparisons juxtaposing both subjects and techniques. A stately progress occurs in three short breaths, from the white space so integral to Eastern aesthetics, obscuring Yugen, unfolding into a vividly colorful and teeming scene illustrating one of nature's most striking creatures, depicted en masse, encompassing generations. Decidedly spiritual in scope, the course of this tercet guides observers through a creation myth of sorts, from void into proliferation. Elements change shape, shift phase, from quintessential evolutionary stew life emerges and refines itself into cohesive family unit slash tribe. Sky drifts down to earth, land's occupants make their way back from whence they came. Nor are things only contrasted. In a sense, the rising fog and birds destined to take flight are reminiscent both of ultimate transcendence of material planes via reincarnation or afterlife, but also scientific minds may discern parallels with ambitions toward exploring the cosmos. The mallard troop spans a gamut age-wise, much like our contemporary extended families, trending in recent generations toward larger structures more beneficial and practical than isolated individualistic models. There are cyclical elements to this poem and its description of recurring patterns of the hydrologic cycle, but also a linear thrust from nothing into everything, blank towards populous territory. Similarly, visual poverty slash wabi of the initial image, devoid of features and starkly colored in grayscale, gradually shifts into fertile bronze, finally terminating with verdant coloration, a summary display rife with levity slash kurumi, and also tilting down from elevated beginnings to a relatable moment sketched from life. A veritable smorgasbord of admirable components and dichotomies an audience can admire and reflect upon at length. This superlative haiku is an optimal example practitioners would do well to remember when they aspire to understand the mechanics driving short-form poetry, and how Tori Awase might be employed strategically and effectually in sleek verse. That's great. Thank you very much, Jerome. And I wondered when I saw your choice here, did it appeal to you? I mean, obviously you were looking for Trievaza in, in 
in the poetry that we were reading. But did this particular one appeal to you because I know you're a very visual artist as well as a poet? Absolutely. This is definitely a, a poem that, that uh, Busan would enjoy. The Mallard, too, are such a, I mean, it's extraordinary to, Nina, I believe, is in India and I'm in Minnesota and, the, you know, just both places, we see these mallards are such an important part of our sort of landscape and our sort of subconscious. So this is a wonderful poem. Thanks, Jerome. That's really great. Really appreciate it. My poem goes like this. Brake lights in the distance, gypsy guitar. Brake lights in the distance, gypsy guitar. Cheers, Jerome. Always love to hear a poem read by the original poet. Thank you very much. Now let's hear some more of our Turiya submissions. And I'm going to start with Carl Bachman. The blackbird's song outside the inmate's window, alone in the dark. Carl Bachman. Bug of the day, a straw in the wind, pale gold. Richard Bailey. Third glass of wine, the warmth of her smile under a strawberry moon. Royal Bassinger. Ocean's Edge, a seagull landing on its one leg. Rowan Beckett. Musty Attic, Dad's youth and my childhood, together in a box. Mona Beddy. North Easterly Breeze, Beating Green Wheat Fields. A buzzard's wings. Dorothy Burrows. Nodding off. Outside the nursing home. Dandelions. Petro CK. Autumn mist. The light of a cottage window on marigolds. Marion Clark. Beans ready for picking, new birdsong, another sip of coffee. Ronald K. Craig Daylilies, a mouse tail hanging from a set of jaws. Timothy Kremen Family meeting behind a closed door. The Ticking of the Clock Alvin B. Cruz Now Alvin is going to be doing a reading for us on Poetry P. And what might be interesting is if you return to this poem after you've heard that reading, it makes me chuckle and puts a new spin on the whole poem for me. On the Autumn Hill a young couple, a fallen kite. Rosie Dang. 
park bench, the homeless man scrubs birdshit from a once familiar name. Tracy Davidson After hours, supermarket bins, horns of plenty. Stephen de Geer Now, Stephen spells his name very much like mine, but he pronounces it quite differently. Interesting. It was very remiss of me last month, but I didn't thank you for the coffees. To be fair, I was on holiday, but I feel bad nonetheless. So let me make it up to you this month and say a massive thank you to everyone who bought the podcast coffee for June and July. I know I say this often, but I would have to give up the podcast if I didn't have some financial support. And as I told you recently, I have reached my goal of having enough coffee to look for an intern. Not found one yet, but when I do, I really hope I can keep them on and I'll need your coffee support for that. So thank you very much again for all the coffees you've bought us. And if you can spare a few coppers for us in the future, that would be wonderful. So thank you for those who bought coffee in June and July. That's Eve Castle, Alison Whipple, Linda Ludwig, Michael Winter, Kimberly Kucher, Jerome Berglund, Jeannie Harkamer, Jenny Shepherd, Susan Spooner, Angiola Inglese, Susan Andrews, Carol Judkins, Roman Lyakovetsky, Roman, one day I'm going to get your name right, Kendall, Matt Snyder, Ron Craig, J.L. Huffman, Marie Durley, Cynthia Anderson, Anna, and Wendy Blomseth. And to everyone who made a donation when downloading the show notes, and all you lovely poets who bought a copy of the journal, I thank you all. And of course, there were a few people who chose to stay anonymous. I respect that anonymity, but I thank you nonetheless. So shall we continue with the poetry that couldn't be brought to you without your coffee donations? Firefly Night, the red end of cigarettes of smokers on the terrace. Marie Durley. Marie, I saw fireflies for the first time when I was on holiday in the US. They were extraordinary. I never expected them to be quite so bright. Black clouds in the long grass, a red wheelbarrow. Adele Evershed. Prom night. Slow dances and couple photos, cheek to cheek. Ivanka Ettinger. Lovers graffiti on a fiscus tree. The grebes shriek. Joshua Gage. Broken barbed wire. Tiny hands reach 
Lamb's Ears Kathy Halsey Mayfly falls, one small ripple, trout rises. Ruth Happel Summer's end, the silence between embers and moonset. Lev Hart Slow setting sun. Grandma stops to admire wedding dresses. John Hawkhead Berry picker. Bear in the brambles, abandoned pale. J.L. Huffman Wind chimes and a bird song one stormy evening. Sangeeta Kalarikal Summer shower A rainbow breaks into skylark song Laurie Kiefer Unmasked The Venetian prostitute exposes her pain Noel King Romp cross a meadow, doodle dog and butterfly, piggybacking. Wayne Kingston. Now we have another new voice on the podcast, Brian Lebansky. I hope I've said that right, Brian. Um, yeah. I'm. I'm always curious about surnames, and I'm intrigued by the spelling of yours. Can you tell me? Is there a story behind it? Yes. Um, like many Americans, my family changed their name. It was originally L-I-B-A-N-S-K-Y, not a second capital letter. Mm -hmm. And it was made to be, I, I say, sort of French in form by my ancestors. Although I have no French. I have everything else, but no French. Oh bless you. Um when when did they come when did they arrive in the states was there a reason behind the change? I don't know when my father's family arrived. I know that my mother is second generation Norwegian but I don't know as much about my father's side other than um he was bohemian which is now part of Czechoslovakia. Yeah, that's that was when I was looking at your name, I sort of wondered, was it from that sort of region? Yeah, that's, so it's Czech. It always interests me how the names do get changed, particularly when you've emigrated, when your families have emigrated into the into the US. Thank you for that story. And I hope it wasn't being too nosy. <laughs> Thank you. That's okay. So anyway, we're here to talk about poetry. Uh, which of the poems did you choose and why? I chose Claire Neenham's poem because it spoke to me. Evening picnic, San Martin swirl across mackerel sky. Evening picnic, San Martin swirl across mackerel sky. 
I was drawn in by the word picnic. It made me think about the wicker basket we bought in 1980 in the old 1950s style my parents used. Never used, still sitting in the same place in our closet. We will have to use that, we say. It also, also makes me think of the soft Wisconsin ryegrass when here in Texas, the grass is less friendly. The idea of the picnic being so central to Coriowasa with the carefully arranged food items taken from that wicker basket. Next, I was intrigued by the word evening. Who picnics then? I think of picnics in the middle of the day. The cut or kariji is clearly after the first line. No need for any punctuation. The end of the line functions as a canna and causes one to wonder at the event of an evening picnic. Sand martins put memories in my head of time spent watching them probing in the sand. Their movement came immediately to mind. Run a few steps, probe by poking several times in the sand, and continue in the same way. But these sand martins were swirling. I thought of the ballerina movements these particular birds must have been making. The second element links to the first, as obviously this is an evening picnic on an ocean beach. It shifts to an emphasis on the birds and their movement. Mackerel sky really grabbed me. I immediately thought of the time I spent in the Washington shore of the Pacific Ocean in the native reservation watching the sunset. Mackerel sky would perfectly describe the silver color created by the combination of the low clouds and dust. The sky lo almost looked metallic, as does, does a fish's iridescence. But I had to do a Google search. Does mackerel have a different meaning? No, it is the saltwater fish I am familiar with. After all, a salmon is already considered a color, so there is a precedent for a fish being a color. This changed the second element for me in that the birds were swirling in the sky. I had never perceived sand martins flying, only probing in the sand. The third element links to the second in that the sand martins are flying, but shifts the picnic's participants' view to the ocean sky. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you, Patricia. Double Rainbow Over the Cemetery, Circadas Song. Natalia Kuznetsova Late winter haze The last ride I take In my first car Anthony Lusardi Brittle leaves The old turtles struggle Up a tree stump Richard L. Matter Flea market, an old man, an old woman, then a turtle. Monsieur Moldovan. Makeup date, smoothing the picnic blanket over crabgrass. Anne Morrigan. 
pink mallow and a circling red kite stuck in this traffic. Ben Oliver Morning sun, a rose branch shadow arcs the room. Debbie Olson Nesting material under the crepe myrtle. Birthday party. Lorraine Padden. Under the umbrella, a sari draped woman wearing sneakers. Krista Pandy. My noiseless grief and this lark singing near and far. Vendana Perishar Ancient white pine, an eagle on its dead crown. Kurt Paulish Now we're going to hear from our next judge, Srinivasa Rao Sambangi. Have I pronounced your name correctly? It's okay. We haven't met you before. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? What brings you to Haiku? Uh, yeah. So I live in Hyderabad, India. Mm -hmm. I started writing in 2017. Oh. Um, approximately seven, 700 Haiku were published in various journals so far. Wow. <laughs> and uh, as a book, my first collection came out in December, okay. uh, titled Forget Me Nots. Okay. Uh, which is available on Amazon. Okay, I can put a link oh. to that in the show notes yeah. for people. Thank you very much. <laughs> Whose poem have you chosen as your um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had chosen a poem by Ravi Kiran. Blooming weeds, a blotch of rust on the garden chair. Blooming weeds, a blotch of rust on the garden chair. Uh, I was looking for images which are which appear to be dissimilar but similar. So this this poem fits into that. Uh, I I go in a city. I I live in a city where you have different cultures, and you will find a lot of tea stalls, roadside tea stalls, where people from all walks of life, including. Um, corporate, white-colored uh, professionals and street sweepers standing side by side, they enjoy their tea. Uh, I think this is one of the best examples of the realize in culture. Um, this, these images, so Ravikiran plays it together. Not only the lines are placed together, but the images also are placed, are placed together in a garden. Weeds and a garden chair. And both are dissimilar in a way that one is full of life. The weeds are full of life, blooming. Other one, the rust, the metallic part, which is lifeless. So that way they are dissimilar. And how they are similar? You know, if neglected, the weeds grow, rust also grows, finally into decay. So this is 
this is very much similar so that's the reason it appears to be dissimilar but similar that's one reason i've taken this and uh, you know japanese art uh, lies in a hint while these two images are looking pretty simple but it gives a hint that you need to read it on vertical axis it has a story this 12 12 syllable poem has a big story everyone can be can, can relate it depending on the background they come from it could be war torn town or it could be uh, an estate which is in dispute and i too have seen similar images many times in my life another aspect of japanese art is the extra feeling what we call amari no kokoro in japanese language that extra feeling which is emotional uh, made me choose this poem thank you very much um yes i think most people can can identify with it and as you were talking there about the the rust expanding you brought a picture in my mind of my very first car a vw beetle that unfortunately died a death because the rust just basically ate the whole of the floor and there was nothing left but to say goodbye to it so thank you very much and thank you for that sort of bringing that very emotional <laughs> image back to my mind thank you starry night shards of laughter crickets stop singing Christina Povero The smell of manure a blossoming elderberry rural summer Michaela Robasova Summer conference thunder and lightning we navigate gingerly Bona M Santos The boy whistles his pony trots and nods summer breeze Minal Sarosh A fat thrush under the small bird feeder sunflower hearts and smith shelling peas his bricklayer's hands fill the bucket mat snider church supper three sparrows fill the sky with song Joshua St Clair All Souls Day waxing gibbous moon in and out of clouds Kathleen Tice Cirrocumulus in mid dive silence of a hawk Richard Tice 
afternoon breeze on the lush green lawn, a lone dandelion. Toyot Van Do. The Milky Way, a blackthorn hedge clotted with blossom. Tony Williams. A honeybee on a hairpin, the queen with her comb. Robert Whitmer. One last poem read by me before I hand over to our last judge. Waves of clouds on water under the bridge. Colette Kern. So our last nomination today is that of Keith Everts. It was Keith, of course, who gave us the presentation of Turiavaza, and I still, as you can tell, I'm really worried saying that word in front of him. Um, and that was back in episode 13 of the series. So, Keith, put us out of our misery. Who have you chosen and why? Well, I had a short list, um, <laughs> and almost any of them uh, could have been the one I picked. Uh, but the one I did pick, uh, almost in spite of myself, was <laughs> Red Sunset. In the Ancient Stone Circle, A Hooded Crow by Kimberly Kuhar. Red Sunset in the Ancient Stone Circle, A Hooded Crow. In the workshop, I spoke of how three images urge arrangement and how their relationship can imply an unwritten element or elements that bind them together which is the moment of insight, and how a haiku is often a fragment of a story. All these aspects are illustrated in Kimberley's haiku. Whether or not it is a single observation, this composed arrangement of three images exerts an irresistible pull on the imagination. Even without the word ancient, which may be overused, it has the depth of ages. We may place in the summer solstice this moment of a story containing past, present, and future. Ritual and a sense of portent are the unwritten elements binding the lines together around a pivot, appropriately a circle, with all that that implies. Ritual is a strong element in enactments of belief, as well as providing a familiar matrix for society to come together. As Li, ritual was regarded as highly important by Confucius and his Far Eastern successors, and indeed by almost every society from east to west, north to south. It's not a subject often examined in contemporary haiku, I think. Here we have a sinister note. The red of sunset is the tint of blood. That, the stone circle and the hooded crow, redolent of ritual and of death, hint of a sacrificial rite. The dying rays of the distant sun reach through a dolmen 
to touch the victim lying on a stone before a hooded and mantled druid. There's little by way of the druid's own runes to detail such pagan rituals. The Romans noted that through Gaul to Ireland, there were propitiatory sacrifices of humans as well as animals. The Romans and the new church banned them before themselves, burning heretics at the stake or crucifying rebellious slaves. In some form, sacrificial rituals persist to this day. Think politics, think social media. Why are people so affectionately drawn to the likes of pirates, highwaymen, serial killers, Henry VIII, and human sacrifices? It makes you wonder, but we are. I know, we're a macabre lot, actually, aren't we, when it comes down to it. Uh, Keith, thank you very much indeed. Would you mind closing us out today with one of your Turiyavaza poems? <laughs> I found this quite a difficult uh, submission, actually. <laughs> did you? Oh, yes, I, I did, yes. Um, I mean, I have some, but uh, actually writing to a prompt on the subject, it wasn't that easy. I know I sent you a whole barrage of things. Promise of rain, a few crabs in the hole of a stranded lifebelt. Promise of rain, a few crabs in the hole of a stranded lifebelt. Thank you. Now, the judges and I will be turning off the recorder and having a debate as to who will be the judge's choice and which poems will be the honourable mentions. Whatever the outcome, I congratulate all the poets who had their work chosen for the podcast and journal this time. It was an exacting task, not just for you, but the editing team and our lovely panel of judges who've done a splendid job for us. Thank you so much to all of you. And thank you to all of you who submitted, who came along to listen and who send me emails with your thoughts. You know I like to get emails, although I'm sometimes quite slow to answer them. I hope you forgive me. Do check out the show notes and have a read of the poems that were chosen for today's podcast. And if I've left anyone out, do not hesitate to tell me. It's very important, this, because it helps me with the journal. So next time on the podcast, I have... I hope another treat for you. Poetry P was very honoured to be asked to launch a groundbreaking book of Highburn, The God of Bones by Sean O'Connor. Those of you on my mailing list were given a heads up that it was happening and many of you were able to join us. But for those of you who couldn't, a recording was made and I'm going to bring that to you next time. So until next time, keep writing. And remember, it's very important if I've left anyone out of the show notes, do let me know. Email me. Until next time, ciao.